Welcome to A State of Mind. This is Julian Royce. For today's conversation, I am speaking with a friend of mine who goes by the name Juicy. Juicy is a programmer, and he has in particular developed this app called One Boulder, which uh, has grown a lot in the last couple years. It now has about 2,000 members, which is amazing. And what it is, is partly a kind of social media app. It's a great alternative to something like Facebook. And so the One Boulder app is really serving the Boulder, Colorado community. But there are plans to bring it to other cities in the world, um, or at least in the United States right now. And so it's, and it's been cool to see when someone moves to this area, they'll often discover this app. And it opens up a whole world to them, because there's so many events and so many people connecting on the app. So it's been, it's been really inspiring to see that. Um, I think that there are talks to bring a similar app to Austin, Texas, to Asheville, North Carolina, and definitely to Miami. Um, I'm actually helping with, with that project. And like I said, it's, it's a great alternative to something like Facebook. It's, it's non-commercial. It's um, really creating deeper communities because anyone can create an event on there and share it with everyone on the app. And that's probably been the main way that people have been utilizing the app. But there's obviously a lot of room to expand. You can also message people and do other things through the app. So check it out if you're interested. It's called One Boulder. And it was wonderful to get to sit down with Juicy and hear about his life, his thoughts, his vision, and his ideas around our collective evolution. So without further ado, I bring you Juicy. today with Juicy. Hey Julian. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, grateful to be here. Love the opportunity and I'm excited to dive in and deep and see what wants to emerge in this connection today. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I appreciate our conversation before we hit record about kind of like we just said, like what wants to come through, what wants to emerge, made me think about what wants to serve life. Would that be a good way to say it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, you know one of the terms that I very much relate with that I like to, to talk about often is about dialogue. Uh, and it was introduced to me, uh, that term, and just behind it by a mentor here in Boulder named Duncan Campbell, mm. who does a show on KGE Radio called Living Dialogues. Oh, and dialogue comes from the etymology, the Latin roots dia and logos. Dia is flow and logos is meaning. Mm. So when you're in a dialogue, you're in a flow of meaning greater than any individual could bring through alone. And so mm. there's a level of surrender of showing up to that space and allowing yourself to be that conduit for information to come through for the benefit of life mm -hmm. that you may not have had access to or awareness of until you were just in that space with that person, which is really beautiful. It gets you out of your thinking mind that you actually yeah. like you're regurgitating the same information, but actually open to see what wants to come through in service to life. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that sense that something new could emerge through the dialogue that you weren't aware of before. I guess like a lot of us are feel like we're in dialogue all the time with ourselves, like our repetitive conceptual thoughts, and that becomes our prison, right? So much yeah. of the time. Yeah, ideally, you know, <laughs> I'd like to live in dialogue in every single moment of my life, because yeah, that's like the inner and outer world. I want my inner world to be in dialogue with my outer world. Uh -huh. How do we bring those into relationship? And actually, for me, that's creating from a different reality place, hmm. as opposed to being this separate just mind-orientated, you know, think you know, 
yeah. if I do this, then this will happen, causality, but actually, you know, being in connection with the, the unknown yeah. and, you know, being in connection with like the internal resonance of something and how does that show up in resonance in what your outer experience is and how do you build that? That's what, mm. you know, a lot of people in the new age community or whatever you want to call it very much put a high focus on synchronicity. Mm. And to me, synchronicities yeah. are those signs that there is an energetic alignment that's happening yeah. to be aware of. and Something to pay attention to. And something notice. to pay attention to, yeah. Yeah, something bigger than your small self. Yeah, like yeah. your mind's just like, how the fuck did that just happen? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same, like, you know, for example, yeah. like one of the first big ones that I experienced was going to a festival with a friend. And he was sharing uh, tarot cards with me, and I didn't know much about tarot. Uh-huh. And so I went to go pick him up, and he did a three-card draw and explained every three, each card to degree, you know? Uh-huh. And so we get to the festival. We're sitting in the line, you know, in the cars, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to draw some cards now. <laughs> I drew the exact same. Th- he shuffled the deck really well, and uh-huh. I went through it really well and, you know, drew the exact same three cards uh-huh. in the reverse order in the reverse orientation. Oh, wow. And I was just like... And, I, and I, you know, I was very math science oriented at the time. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. What is the actual odds of this? And I calculated it and it's like one in two million or something like that. Wow. Or it's like one in two million. Yeah. Something like that. And it's just like, oh, okay, sure. It's in the that's realm a of good, possibility. That's a great example of that. Yeah. Things like that can happen for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. There's already like so many different threads I could go down, but <laughs> that thing you were just sharing about the inner and outer world. One of the most profound like meditation pointers I ever got was, mm. um, you know, tuning into awareness and then seeing no inner, no outer, like to taking away that, mm. that distinction that is really a thing that our mind creates, this idea of the separate self that our mind creates. But in reality, it's, it's all connected. It's all interwoven. It's the thought I have is maybe arose because of something you said, right? So then how is that really coming from within versus without, you know, all the, all the causes and conditions and the way things come together. And it made me think about the, the Buddha, and I think Plato was like this too, but it's, I just, I'm more familiar with the Buddhist tradition, but the Buddha would be sitting there according to the tradition and someone would ask a question and then this huge like sutra would emerge and they would write it down or mm-hmm. we're supposed to venerate it all these thousands of years later, but <laughs> it has a beautiful way of talking about the Buddha as being this kind of embodiment of peace and wisdom and compassion and then just his words coming not really he as in, you know, man versus female, but the Buddha's words coming out of the needs of the moment and whatever was asked mm. then would call forth the particular teaching. Totally, yeah. And so I think that just while I'm on the subject, the Buddha in that sense isn't really a historical figure. It actually can refer to like reality as such. And that reality, if mm. we tune into it, is expressing itself. And if we ask a question, there can be an answer. And so, yeah. yeah. Similar to where we started with dialogue yeah. and allowing yourself yeah. to show up and be that conduit for the information that is wanting to yeah. be known in the moment. Yeah. In that sense, anyone could become the Buddha, right? And yeah. Realize that and some wisdom could flow through. Yeah. yeah. Also, just, you know, one of the other quotes that I love and ways like to relate with, with life and reality is um, from Mr. Rogers. I love him. <laughs> and one of the things that he would say is, everybody you'll ever meet knows something you don't. Hmm. And so whether I'm talking to somebody who's a garbage man or somebody who's a lawyer or a doctor or a physicist or a programmer, whatever it might be, I'm like, what is it that has been unique in this person's experience that I can connect with and support that flow of meaning to happen? Yeah, I see that in you. As opposed to just like surface level, oh, how are the cults doing or, you know, things (laughs) like that. Like what's actually real and what's really here? What is possible? 
to yeah. be known in the space, what wants to be known. And that's a, a quality I felt in you and also that like really being present in the moment and appreciating that because we don't know when we're going to see someone again or if we're going to see someone again. Yeah. I mean, that was a big thing for me where I got to a point, short story about this, but for the longest time, I couldn't tell my mom that I loved her. Oh, wow. You know, and she, she got to a point where she was like bawling and crying. She's like, why can't you say that you love me? Oh, wow. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And I actually really looked at that and it, it prompted me to be like, okay, I really got to open up here. Hmm. And then it became um, kind of like ingrained in my lifestyle where I now, anytime that I see somebody, whether it's the first time that I've met them or whatever hmm. it might be, somebody who I feel like is a kindred spirit or a soul or just like, really I try to do it with everybody to remind them of the unconditional love that is uh. really reality in life. Yeah. Um, I say, I love you. Because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to see you again. I don't know if you're going to die or I'm going to die. Whatever case, mm. you know, I, I want to know that when if you pass or I pass, I know I left things in a good place knowing that you knew that I loved you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, that part of what I hear when you say that is you're someone who I see is very authentic, like wanting to not wanting to say something unless it's true for you. And so like with that example with your mom, you're like, let me check in, like. You didn't want it. You didn't just say it just to say it. You yeah. Actually, like paused and was like, yeah, looked into it. And what was that process like? Like what is it? I mean, I'm guessing you got to a place where you could say that to her. Yeah. Well, and, and the, for me, it was, it was really actually connecting with myself um, mm. and loving myself mm. because for the longest time, not to go into too much story about it, like, but when I was about 12 years old, I, I thought about suicide and At 12 years old. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I think that actually might be more normal, more common than people realize. I think so. And, um, I had That's what I've learned like in being vulnerable and sharing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's such a taboo thing, but it is. it's human. It's, it's so human. And then I went through like, a, like, I only thought about suicide very briefly, but then I went through a depression for 10 plus years or so or something oh, like wow. that. That's a long time. Um, and yeah, it was during that time. I know my mom loved me, but, you know, during that time, it was hard for me to say that I genuinely love somebody else when at the time I was facing my own, like, I don't even know if I really love myself. Mm. And so when I had my awakening experience, when I was living in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin by myself, mm. and I had this awakening experience, I had LSD at the time, mm. and I had this experience of opening up and seeing my life, and I'm like, yeah, all that happened. And because that happened, I actually have a lot more development in my in my mental body. I did a lot of like math and science and things like that. And I also um, was by myself a lot. So I learned how to be with myself, which is something that a lot of people, I have a story, I've had a difficult time doing, mm -hmm. um, which I have a story is one thing that the pandemic might have helped with a bit. Oh, um, really? Jumping around a little yeah. bit, but yeah. Be with yourself. Yeah. To be with yourself. So that was, uh, yeah, really powerful for me and just got me to that place of like, what is it that I really want in my life? Mm. And how do I love? <clears throat> what does that look like? Because mm. I was a question to ask. How do I love? Well, and, and you know. Where, where were you growing up? Illinois. Illinois. Middle America. Middle America in the cornfields. Uh -huh. Corn and soybean. <laughs> <laughs> And did you study math and science in college? Uh, I did chemical and biomolecular engineering. Oh, wow. Programming has always kind of been like a, you know, seeing the high school, like programming yeah. the calculators in the back of class was what, you know, <laughs> entertained me. Um, and then I also started doing programming work when I got into college just because, like, cool. really brief about it. But uh, joined the racquetball club and would go to tournaments and take pictures. 
And the president of the club was like, hey, you know, it'd uh, be awesome if you could find a place to put these pictures that weren't Facebook. Oh, yeah. And so that's actually what started me into doing development. And then I wanted to work for a research lab. Hmm. And the professor's like, sure, if you read my book on engineering ethics and then make a website for it, I'll happily have you in my <laughs> lab. So programming for me has almost been like a getting in the door in yeah. a lot of different places to, yeah. to dive a little bit deeper, to understand like what's really here on the racquetball team, what's really here in this research lab, like, and then how do I then create technology, website, email system, whatever it might be, to better support it. That's beautiful. It's such a useful skill set in our day-to-day, -day, our, our world today. You know, like you said, people are asking you, hey, could you make this website or do this thing? Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And it's, it's hilarious well, so, to me, too, because, you know, I mean, how many people come up and be like, oh, I got an app idea for you. That's <laughs> the funny thing for me is like I'm constantly in that space, not just of having other people share those with me, but also to be like, man, I've been working on this app for like over two years now at this point, And uh -huh. I also have other app ideas that I'd love to uh -huh. create. <laughs> that's great. That's that's a powerful, potentially such can make such a powerful impact, and it, it has in terms of the One Boulder app. Do you want to share about that? That's part of what yeah. I had you on. You developed this app called One Boulder, which in Boulder, Colorado, has become really popular. How many, do you want to speak to it? How many people are on yeah, there? Yeah, um, there's one other thing that I want to share before getting to that, because yeah. it, it's a more meta conversation that we live in a very interesting time mm -hmm. in that as a solo developer, not saying it needs to be, but as a solo developer, you have the same computing power as Amazon does. Really? So, I mean, Amazon Web Services run over half of the internet at this point. Hmm. And so scaling up or whatever, like a single person could potentially write a software that runs on all the hardware that already exists and you're just managing this, the hardware hmm. that could potentially serve the entire population of the planet. That's incredible, yeah. And so it's we're in a really interesting time where somebody like myself who dedicated has dedicated eight plus years to developing this code base to other people to create something that then could scale to the planetary scale. Yeah, that's a great point to make. So, I mean, just to put but, it in a nutshell, anyone could create a software or an app that potentially any everyone on Earth could download and use yes. based on the, what's already existing in the... It's amazing. It's an yeah. amazing thing. On the hardware side of things, things totally. Yeah. yeah. So, and, that, and that's nice. one of the things I want to invite is just the potential for great shift and change to happen in a relatively short time period because all the hardware and all the things are already in place. They just need to be like reoriented a little bit. And it's yeah. just easier in the ones and zeros software side of things than some of the others. That's so interesting. It makes me just think about something I've been thinking about more often and talking about with people, which is basically gratitude and appreciation, but in the context of gratitude for all the things that so many people have worked so hard to create for us, and they're human beings that designed and this hardware that you're talking about, it's there and we can all use it and we, we take it for granted and we're like, ah, yeah, you know, we're like stuck in traffic, we're like, ah, you know. Totally, yeah, no, and that's, that's one of the things, you know, this will bridge it just a little bit, but, um, Evolutionarily speaking, I have a story that we're going from caterpillar to butterfly, hmm. um, going through this metamorphosis and this transition. That's beautiful, yeah. And so the caterpillar is just like eat, 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 grow, 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 until mm -hmm. at a certain point it goes into its cocoon and then comes out the other side as a butterfly. Mm. But in the process, it has to gain all this weight, it has to grow so much to create the mm. <laughs> the the juice, the spike, <laughs> you know, to for for the new to emerge. 
Okay. And so as we're like yeah. growing a lot, a fuck ton as a culture and society through industrialization and through the use of petrochemicals and these different energy systems, we're growing a lot. And yeah. now we're in this opportunity, I think COVID was part of this, an opportunity to slow down and start growing something new. Mm-hmm. And so that's the bridge that I want to offer because in the beginning of 2020 was when One Boulder really started landing. And started to really pull people together. When when did you first launch it? Well, there's... Okay. (laughs) There's a little bit of history here. Um, The two main founders of One Boulder initially, um, Nico Joyce, he goes by Argon now, and Eric Lawyer, um, were both people that I met in 2017 at Sunrise Ranch at an emerging technologies conference that was hosted at Sunrise Ranch, but also led by Barbara Marks Hubbard. Beautiful. Okay. I was just, I was just <laughs> at Sunrise Ranch last weekend. With yeah, the for Luminous. Institute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, such a cool, beautiful place. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Eden Valley, and it really does feel like that in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, they have their own agriculture system there. They've never used any petrochemicals on the land, so it's oh, wow. you know better know than organic, actually, in a lot of ways. That's awesome. And they have their own cows and other livestock. They're growing like a that. lot. A lot of the food they fed us was from their land. It was yes. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, okay. So. Well, so I just, for someone listening who doesn't know anything about One Boulder app, well, how would you just put it in a nutshell like, to tell them what it is? Yeah, there's there's two <laughs> angles of that. There's the like... <laughs> Meet people with where they're at and give them the simple, it's like, hey, it's a great community app to be more connected to what's happening in where you live. Right now, it's focused in Boulder, Colorado. We're looking at launching other instances. But right now, one of the primary ways that it's being used is around um, events and supporting Mm -hmm. people in the community come forward with their gifts and sharing that, whether it's like authentic relating or Tai Chi or sound bath or cacao ceremony or, you know, whatever it might be to support people and bring their gifts forward. Um, And also to support people in learning about these things they didn't even know existed. Like when I moved to Boulder eight and a half years ago, my awareness I realized was significantly lower than I thought it was Mm. because I was surrounded by people who have dedicated themselves to exploring all these different practices that I didn't even know existed. Mm. And so that's one thing that I get really excited about from the lens of how one boulder and these types of technologies can serve is how we can, you know, another term from evolutionary biology, you know, horizontal dream transfer. How do we learn from each other? Mm. You know, horizontal gene transfer. Yeah. So like you, for example, even in this dialogue, um, you know, I've connected with you a bit in the past, but around like the the Buddhist, the Hindu, you know, like yeah, that orientation, yeah. like that's not as much like something that I've studied. I'm somewhat aware of. Right, right. But being in connection with you and being curious and having enough topical information to then just be like, hey, Julian, you want to dive a little bit deeper? Can you share a little bit yeah. more about these things? Yeah, be curious. Yeah. Is a different way of learning than having to every single person have to read a book or whatever it might be to gain the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like, for example, I'll, I'll just keep bringing COVID yeah. up, right? It's yeah. a, it's a virus that, um, and simple bacteria do this too, as well as a number of different animals and mm. plants. There's actually some gene transfer that happens between animals and plants too. Oh, interesting. It's fascinating. Like you're talking about physical genes. Like yeah. Like, genetic. yeah. And so instead of, um, you know, <laughs> genetically coming together and creating offspring, which is a vertical thing. Mm-hmm. It it's like, oh, I have this little code of information. I'm going to share this strand of DNA with you so that you can then use mm-hmm. the code and adapt in the ways that I 
did. Yeah. You know, bacterias that, you know, face antibiotics will then be like, oh, here's a solution to live in this antibiotic rich environment. Here you mm. go. Yeah. Um, and that's because, well, I mean, however, what level of consciousness you want to put to it, but that the bacteria and viruses within their own species, because most of the time horizontal gene transfer happens between the same species, there's some mm. exceptions, but it's like they're wanting their species to thrive. Right. Yeah. Thriving together <laughs> <you know? laughs> for a common purpose. And I think that's also the evolutionary jump that we're at right now. So I did the what is one boulder on the like the simple, yeah. easily digestible level. The other is that the internet is like the central nervous system of the planet. Wow. And, yeah. See, that's beautiful. And using it in right relationship with that purpose mm. and that awareness and that reverence, right? These are powerful networks that can serve really profound communication, resource sharing, development, and evolution. Or these same networks can be used to extract, exploit, manipulate, control, and have yeah. power dynamics over everybody that's using it from a lens of trying to extract as much as they can for themselves. Mm. And so these two uh, terms, um, prokaryote and eukaryote mm. in evolutionary biology, really important. Like we can learn from these patterns in evolution so we can consciously evolve moving forward. Mm. So prokaryotes don't have a nucleus um, and eukaryotes do. And eukaryotes are markedly different because of a term called endosymbiotic evolution. Endosymbiotic means within and mm. endo within. Uh -huh. Symbiotic is in right relationship or, yeah. In right relationship. I love that phrase. Yeah. I, it's very core in my life, actually, is yeah. right relationship. And so these cells that are eukaryotic essentially started with prokaryotes who came together who were like, oh, I could choose to fight you and we can shoot, like fight for resources or, hey, you're a mitochondria bacteria, you know, uh -huh. precursor and, you know, I can do this thing and we'll come together and become the different organelles in the cell hmm. and work together for the common purpose of the whole that it was now part of, which is a larger hmm. cell. Hmm. And same thing that happened with single cell to multicellular. The multicellular organism was like, oh, all the cells that are a part of it are going to work together within the context of the whole in right relationship for the benefit of the whole. This is how we can have hundreds of trillions of cells in the human body all working together. And it's also pretty marked because like, if you apply the same type of principle in the human body, if you have a group of cells that are growing out of their own self-interest without regard to the whole that they're a part of, mm. which is fundamentally what we have in the like majority, I'm not going to put them all in this box, but primary moving factors of the economy yeah. are based on fiduciary responsibility mm. and for companies to be doing what is in self-interest for them oftentimes right. in contrast to what is good for the whole. Right. And so we're in this jump of um, actually coming back to natural pattern of endosymbiotic evolution, mm. working together for the purpose of the whole. And so you, looking at the internet as like the lens mm. of the central nervous system is an opportunity for us to start scaffolding and uh, reorienting people to be like, how do we work together for the common interest of the whole? Yeah. Because yeah. we have inherently more than enough. The earth provides inherently more than enough. We're just in literally a, you know, resource distribution and governance issue. Mm. of how do we effectively communicate, coordinate, and use our resources. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, that's beautiful. I, I guess I had this question for a long time that I've been wanting to have more clarity or dive into more about. We talk about evolutionary biology and these cells coming together to form multicellular organisms, which is us. 
and then we can talk about individual humans, you know, being part of society and culture and the world. And yet there seems like a distinction and some important distinctions there because mm. the cells, I don't know, like, are they, I guess, I imagine people hearing that it's like, there's a fear of losing your individuality or your own willpower or it's a bit of a leap, like the cells themselves, because we've evolved for so long, they, they don't really exist apart from our body. You get what I'm saying? Whereas like an individual human could go live out in the woods or something or like, yeah. like how, I guess this is just this kind of paradoxical thing of individuality and collective collectivism. And Well, uh, it's been a deep experiment for me. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because I've learned in doing this work for a while, um, being part of intentional communities and, and being part of a group context and like, how do I serve and support this group? One of the things that I learned was that there were times when I was almost wanting it too badly, mm. something to happen, mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, like this physical being doesn't matter as much. I'm going to do what I can to support the unfolding of what wants to happen. And that was, again, like putting something outside of myself. Uh. And I would deplete myself because I was giving so much to something oh, well, yeah. um, from an empty cup mm. without putting myself first. And... I think that's part of like the work that's necessary to 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 you know bring humans together who have this you know higher form of consciousness um, to be able to come together without a fear of becoming the hive mind, which I think is oftentimes what Maybe is that's part of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's yeah. the term that has come up a lot, and you know, a lot of people in the community use it is sovereign unity. Hmm. So, Beautiful. what does yeah. sovereignty really look like? How do we support people in their own process of individual actualization, mm -hmm. so that they have their root levels needs, like they know that they are, you know, provided for, safe, secure, so that they can actualize their full potential. And then, when people are in their individual actu actualized state, how do we come together in a collectively actualized state? Mm -hmm. um, Beautiful. Yeah, like at both end. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the hive mind is an interesting one. I think it, I think it maybe it can be good to consciously enter into that. Like for example, if you're at a big concert or maybe a festival and everyone's dancing together, there's a there's a total collective feel that I think most people can feel and relate to and understand, and and it, it can be beautiful. But there's also you know a risk in that. Like if there's like an angry mob that's going to lynch someone, that's like the classic negative example of the hive mind. And so, um, uh -huh. like, I just come to a place in my life where I love the phrase both and rather than either or. And like anything could be, like you were saying in the beginning, for, you know, cause of good, of growth, of love, of connection, or it could be used in more negative directions. And right. That's, that's another example. Yeah. And that's another lens that I like to come from too, right? Like I'm not here to bastardize the way that things are done. You know, you couldn't become the butterfly without being the caterpillar. Mm. And I think that's oftentimes like a lot of people in the new age community almost come with disgust or like there's something wrong. Oh, with the caterpillar? With the caterpillar, <laughs> you know, that things have been done, which there's been a lot that it's yeah. caused more pain and suffering than has likely been really needed. Um, sure, yeah. But at the same time, everything that's happened has needed to happen for us to be right here right now. Yeah. And so having gratitude for that, which is like the balance to me of like what I've also been learning about is the balance of the masculine and feminine in relationship to love. Mm. Like the feminine being like exactly where you are don't need to change your perfect being exactly as the way mm. you are. Yeah. Right. That's the feminine fully accepting. Mm -hmm. And then there's the masculine side is like, I see you in your highest Julian. Mm. <laughs> I see where you're at now, but I see so much more for you. 
And here's ways that I can support you in vectoring towards that. And there's a balance of that because oftentimes there's a lot of people in the masculine side who's just like, go, 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 whip, yeah. whip, whip, make it to that next level. Our culture has so much of that, right? Yeah. yeah. And then there's a lot that's been missed in the feminine of just yeah. like receptivity of we're perfect in the way that we are. Yeah. And to me, there's also that code of like, your being is enough. And mm. just by being, you are valuable. And you don't need to demonstrate the world that I want to live in. People don't have to demonstrate their value mm. externally by doing something to say that that's what makes it okay for them to survive, you know? Yeah. Because, like, a lot of people, yeah. I have a story, are caught up in the, like, oh, I have to do this thing to make the money to survive. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to coming from that place of, like, I am, and this is you know, part of the work that I'm doing, I shared with this a little bit before we started the podcast, but yeah. like, what is it like to surrender into that place of trusting that everything that you need for you to thrive hmm. is coming to you exactly when you need it to be part of a system, just like the cell in your skin. Mm -hmm. It's part of something larger that ensures that that skin cell is, is provided for and taken care of. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's part of like yeah. where the the hive mind moves into the you know the collective ecosystem that is mutually supporting each other and thriving. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of trust to do that. I mean, I think you're raising a lot of really important issues. But like our kind of mainstream capitalist consumerist culture really thrives on a sense of scarcity, of lack, of needing to struggle to survive. Like you're saying, it's in the context of us living in what. Um, factually speaking, as the wealthiest society in the history of humanity on this yeah. planet. And yet, if you, talk, if you look at the individual minds of the people making up of it, most of it feel very poor. In fact, I have a friend who is a multi-multi-millionaire at a young age, and he told me on the phone the other day, he's like, I feel poor. It's like, these are my expenses. This is my income. Like, this is what I want. And his wants are so big. Um, you mm. know, but just that... that Part of what I'm getting at is there's a lack of trust in the world and other people for our needs to be met. And there's this sense that you have to fight and struggle and you've got to be in the front of the race. And our whole society is kind of built around that, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, to speak to that and part of the experiment that I'm in, you know, energetically, I, you know, one of the big shifting moments for me was learning about the chakra system. Hmm. Um, that was huge. Mm -hmm. Simple seven energy centers to think about. Yeah. And uh, what... The deep experiment that I'm in right now is um, changing the directionality of what feeling or knowing safety is. Mm. Like a lot of people associate the root with like root level stability, safety. And I have a story that a lot of people look towards those things externally. Right, right? right. Hey, I have a million dollar a year job and I have a two million dollar, you know, mortgage that is, you know, yada, yeah. yada, yada. I have all these things. I'm safe. But oftentimes, like you're saying, even the person who's the multimillionaire friend of yourself, you know, they might not feel that safety, yeah. even though they have, yeah. they seemingly have It's amazing, a lot. right? It's unbelievable. Right. And... It's insane. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> and that's, that's part of this orientation of kind of going into the unknown, mm. right? So for me, it's coming more from the crown and my connection to the infinite and knowing that I am connected to the infinite. Mm. And holding the, you know, in the secret, they talk about the, you know, the holding the intention, right? Is like yeah. the way to manifest something. I look at that as like the, it's kind of like the pupil to the crown chakra, 
right? If you don't believe something is possible, then you're limiting yourself in the experience of what is possible in the infinitude of the unknown. Mm. Um, and so as you do that work throughout your energy system to be in connection with the infinite of what is possible and open up these different energy centers along the way, you eventually get down to the root, which is where I'm working at right now. Beautiful. So yeah. what does that look like to know, like Barbara Marks Hubbard would say, what happens when you can orient yourself so deeply to life that you have 14 billion years of evolution at your back? Nice. Yeah. Because you are the, you know, Godhead would be the, in the Hindu Buddhist yeah. way of maybe of saying yeah. that, but like you are on the bleeding edge of life evolving and life is supporting itself in its process oh, of evolution. I love so much. <laughs> Just to imagine the 14 billion years behind you, almost like a support and momentum. And yeah. Like I was saying, all the th things that have built the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. And having gratitude for that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, do you want to share... Let's see a little bit about, because you've taken a leap in terms of your lifestyle. Yeah. That actually, you're actually living what you're talking about in a way that most people would probably be terrified of. Do you want to speak to that? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been a primary orientation for me. And the, the first thing that comes up um, is of the archetype of the king. Hmm. Because to me, basic income has come up a lot and yeah. you know I think that that's like a band-aid or an adaptation to the current system in the way that it is but it really speaks towards people having their basic needs being met right. without having to do anything just be um, and even in my like work in building these social networks um, my second one when I when I started working with a business partner who had money mm -hmm. um, I negotiated with him from the standpoint of like, I want to see this happen. And also I want to live in a way that feels like, like I have to live it first before I ask other people to live that way. Huh. Right. So for me, I negotiated to say, have like my housing. Cause he had a house and he had an extra room available in the house. I'm like, Hey, can I just stay in the house? We don't need to exchange money for this, you know? Uh -huh. And then, you know, it's like, Hey, can I have a, a card that I can use to spend for money? Uh, for for fruit, food rather, so I kind of had like my housing and my food negotiated. So rather than asking for a salary or income, you're asking for these more practical. That's where my base was, and I'm like, okay, I have those needs taken care of. What more do I really need? Hmm. And I wasn't like being like, okay, I need to do like, hey, this person has money. How do I get as much as I can for myself so I can like then travel to Thailand? No, I was like, <laughs> no, I have like what what do I really need? Uh -huh. Not from a place of like all right, I got all these bills and I would really love to get a boat, you know? <laughs> no, you know, because for me, I'm noticing that I feel very satiated in my being, mm. knowing that I have all these other relationships in my life, mm. connection with community, right relationship, right? Yeah. So the more I feel and experience right relationship with different things in my life, the more valuable I feel the life that I'm living because I'm coming more into alignment, more in balance, mm. And, you know, kind of like what I was speaking to of like that deeper alignment and balance births that those synchronicities, which mm. are, to me are like the yeah. like energetic alignments that point towards something greater that's happening. And uh, where to get back to your original question, where I'm feeling that like safety and support is as I'm leaning into the unknown, I'm seeing so much more what you may call magic. 
which I love, you know, the term because it's any technology that is sufficiently advanced will appear like magic. Mm, okay, um, that's beautiful. Quote, uh, and it does, it does, it feels like magic. Like there's things that are showing up that I'm just like, man, I could have like in my own way, like if I were like third person viewing my life and supporting all the things coming together, like even if I were fully in that position, like I don't even know if I'd be able to align these things to happen in the way that they have been. I love that. Okay, so to make it a little more graspable for someone who's listening, (laughs) if I could share for the last month or two or however long you've intentionally been without a home, right? Yeah. That's beautiful. That's the leap into the of faith and the unknown. And, with, and I can imagine that opened you up to the synchronicities you're talking about because where am I going to sleep tonight? And you have to ask around and find that. And Yeah. And not be attached to what it looks like. Yeah. Like, oh, I need this like really nice house to stay in. You know, I've slept on futons. I've slept in multi-million dollar mansions. I've oh, slept wow. in vans. You know, <laughs> I've slept in my own car. That's so cool um, to hear about. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and to get over that, like... It has to look a certain way. Huh. And to also be able to put out that request and be vulnerable with where I'm at. Like, hey, yeah. I really need the support right now. You know, yeah, calling it's on vulnerable. it's vulnerable. And also being in connection with like, you know, another term that's really left out and missed um, in modern capitalism is social capital. Mm. The types of energy that we put into relationships Mm. that then result in like, oh, hey, I've known you for five years now. Mm. You know, I know you're a blacksmith. Would you be okay like making some silverware or something for me? Yeah, sure. I'll give it to you at a 50% discount because you're a friend, you know, you know, things like that. Um, More of the yin economics Mm. based on relationships, Mm -hmm. which is getting a little bit more feminine than everything is just like scientific, science, yeah. A little bit of a tangent. Science etymolo- etymologically comes from Latin roots, sizes or to cut, cutting things into its component parts. Thanks for it's sharing that. That's a very good. masculine yeah. thing. Yeah, and you're cutting stuff up and then you miss the whole. Exactly. Also, none of those <laughs> things really exist independently in that little piece you cut it into. Uh, so. Well, some of it does. And that's the yeah. thing. Is yeah. that to me, it's like this balance of like masculine and feminine, right? Slight tangent, but um, in Greek philosophy about 2,500 years ago, there was two main schools of thought. Mm-hmm. There were the Pythagoreans who would break things down into their component yeah. shapes and geometries, yeah. cut things apart to understand them. And this is what, where science came from, science, Latin root scissor, to cut, cutting things into their component parts to understand them. And that's made a lot of predictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also became a predominant philosophy, consciously or unconsciously, for the majority of the population of the planet. Mm. Mostly the more educated people, but... It was just the adopted, like, this is how we go forward. Because the other school of thought, um, of philosophy, was about living systems. Mm. We are a living system System inside of... Yeah, yeah, we are a living system inside of a living system inside of a living system that have ecosystems that can't intrinsically be cut apart to understand. That's what I was going to... Yeah, yeah. And that's more of the feminine, Mm -hmm. the holism. Yeah. And we're just coming back to balance these. And again, like in the new age community, I sometimes feel, and it's true with science, it's become a religion for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's about, you know, again, right relationship and balance. Science tells us a lot and we can learn a lot from it. But if we look to that as our only source of this is the way that reality works, which a lot of people do, mm-hmm. you're very much limiting yourself in the possibility of what being part of a living system actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Which, interestingly enough, the... Cosmo, current cosmological view that the, is adopted in the majority of the scientific community is that the universe was birthed inherently without consciousness. 
it's a set of coincidences that all of these different things have come together. Right. It never has explained scientific materialism. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it never has explained how consciousness was birthed or even how yeah, we such went a big from, question. Yeah. Yeah. How we, DNA even emerged or, you know, things like this. Yeah. There's st those are still questions. <laughs> yeah. According to, I always, because of my background and practice with Buddhism tend to go to that, but I think it has a lot to offer, but in Indian spirituality, Buddhism, a lot of world spiritualities, consciousness is primordial. It's fundamental. And so it can't actually be created on some level, on a deep level. Like the, the essence of what our conscious awareness is can't be created. It's something uncreated. Oh. And then creation emerges out of that. Um, but it'd be, I'm interested, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see science. And another idea that I've been thinking about that I love is DNA was like seeding our planet. And, there's, and that somehow there's probably life, right, all across the universe. And these plants have been like seeds floating through space. We already know that certain forms of mushroom, you know, mycelial spores can float through space and, yep. and survive. And so that's kind of how I think about it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and it's, um, it's really fascinating from that lens too of, um, you know, DNA and what its deeper purpose is. I just, I yeah. just briefly want to share just because yeah. it's interesting information. Take it for what it is. Because certain things you can't necessarily experiment with aside from thought experiments. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm a huge proponent of using the scientific method, for example, and applying it to the human instrument that we are mm. to be in that feedback loop, that toroid of putting a theory out there and listening objectively to the results that are coming back to adapt your relationship between mm -hmm. your experience. Um, yeah. So for me, I'll just share this about DNA is... Um, Modern science has condensed it down to a single level for the most part, saying that the A, T, C's, and G's of the DNA in their order, in their genes, are 100% the encoding of the information of its expression. Hmm. Now, um, there is a lot of scientific information that there is a level of encoding in that, and you know, not to... Mm -hmm you know, discredit it. There's a lot of value in it. And we've seen a lot of value come from that level of understanding. However, uh, I like to explore that there is another layer of information that is encoded in DNA. Because, mm -hmm. for example, the DNA that exists in your eye is the same as the DNA that exists in your toe. That's amazing, right? Yeah. The only thing that's different is how the <clears throat> DNA is folded. And how it's folded changes the different types of protein expression that the, happen. I mean, it's expressed, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's also this aspect of DNA having an energetic encoding to it, not just a physical encoding, mm. but an energetic encoding. Mm. Like where the physical and the energetic come together as mm -hmm. one. Um, so uh, the backbone of DNA, uh, it needs to be dissolvable in water. So what happens is the, the hydrogen molecules actually line up along the backbone of the DNA. Mm. And as we know through Emoto's work uh, with there's a connection between consciousness and water, mm. the quantum superposition is one theory of how that works because there's a relationship like we know in quantum mechanics between the observer and what's yeah. being observed. Right. <laughs> so... Um, DNA, if you think about it, just like um, if you have an electric, if you have a wire and you put an electric current through it, you generate a field. Mm -hmm. We talk about the field a lot. Mm. You know, um, the morphogenetic field, I think it's Rupert Sheldrake. I'm yeah, 100%. yeah, Rupert Sheldrake, yeah. Um, 
but we live in this field. And it's, it's yeah. more of an energetic conversation, which is something that Tesla would talk about. Everything mm. is, is frequency, mm. right? Yeah. And so to me, again, this is like the deeper awakening that's happening is we're going more to the energetic, more to the infinite, and being in connection with the physical, but not necessarily saying that that is the foundational element. Everything is condensed forms of light energy yeah. and electromagnetism. <laughs> yeah. So with DNA, if when you have water molecules that are lined up, you have a whole bunch of hydrogens, like as a stack, almost like a wire. Mm. Now imagine that along that wire, there's something that can move, maybe at um, an infinite speed. Obviously, mm. you can measure this. But if you look at it through that lens and the, the, a field that gets generated by something through like electric current through a wire, then DNA can actually have another layer of encoded information in it, which essentially is as something goes through, it creates this field, multiple cells next to each other create a similar field. That, that's why, for example, the heart has its own measurable mm. um, energetic field associated with it. Same with the brain. It's mm. a fairly high concentration of aligned cells mm-hmm. um, and creates its own field, as well as the entirety of the field that is created through all of the DNA in our being, which... Mm. Some I think what is it over fifty percent of it actually isn't even our own because it's uh-huh. through bacteria and, and other viruses and viruses that yeah. exist in our system. Yeah, uh, but that field that's generated. You talk about coherent fields. There's like a field where there's like you know uh, you know one plus one equals two because there's alignment of these waves and it's additive mm. superposition. Um, so there's a different level of creation that can happen from that place of energetic alignment in the field. Um, and to me, there's, um, something that I'm also really working on is, a, a, a philosophy around holocentric, um, holocentric, holocentric. So holographic reality, like a hologram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where everybody is the center to their own universe. Yeah. And something so to that, right? because yeah. there's energetic alignment between us, Mm. Our fields are compatible and coming together in this way. Mm. And so you are creating your own reality and I am as well. Mm-hmm. And there is a shared experience where we can come together in it. And to me, if you just extrapolate that of what happens when there's enough people awake to that potentiality of mm. awareness and connection, yeah. you know, what, what begins to happen is I think more people experience more of what it is that they want and recognizing how to navigate the world to find the alignments and find the energetics yeah. that they're also internally connecting with and desiring. Totally, yeah. I think um, that kind of perspective can give you a bit of leverage to sort of take more responsibility for your Absolutely. own experience. And yeah. then that's the place where you can be creating, or I like the word co-creating, you can be co-creating more of, yeah, more harmony, more abundance, more love, more, more of the things that you really want. But yeah, that's, I like how you're bringing the energy, the energetic component into it. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, it's fascinating <laughs> to think about it's like just so it's so it can be so complex, you know, um, but there's definitely something to what you're saying around the field. I mean, I guess people talk to her about auras or if you hang out, if you talk to someone, you get a you get a feeling for them like, oh, there's their, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's obviously there's, there's a lot there <laughs> and you can feel like sometimes you can if someone has bad intentions, you could feel that, too. You know. Yeah. And so I mean, there's a deeper level of connection that just most people don't think about. I mean, even something as simple as, uh, and, and this is very well documented of people who are like, oh, I felt that person looking at me from across the room. Yeah. I knew somebody was looking at me. Uh-huh. What's that about? You know, 
Like it's this deeper sense of awareness of what is happening that is beyond oftentimes our mental body or just the physical reality that oftentimes people are rooted in yeah. <laughs> as the is the primary relation or orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple more areas and topics to be, to be explored as well. Whatever you're feeling. I'm trying to. Part of me wants to bring it back to the one boulder app just briefly, at least to. Yeah. As a because part of what I see with that is well, number one, a ton of people are a part of it in this community in Boulder. Number two, like you're saying, it's it's opening up all these like anyone can create their own event and share it on the app, and everyone else on the app can see it. And yeah, you could do that on Facebook, but it's a certain, you know, it's a little bit more of a self-selected group, I guess. It's a little bit smaller, more intentional. Um, it's definitely creating its own field, right? Like, like you're saying, things yeah. like cacao ceremonies, yoga, meditation, blah, blah, blah. Like there's so many different offerings. And then you just see the abundance of creativity, the abundance of leadership, the abundance of people, you know, listening to what they, you know, sharing what they have to offer in the world. And it's yeah. a platform for that. And there's no advertising, there's no, there's no money, there's no, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming that you're not like collecting everyone's personal data secretly through their phone, okay, so like, whatever, in terms of talking about the energetic field, I think when we're on Instagram, Facebook, Google, all these things, a part of our system is aware that we are being used as we're using it in ways that we haven't fully consented to, because they send us this like, do you agree to these terms? Click okay, and no one reads the fucking terms or even understands them. If you did, so yeah, and I got a good one for you too <laughs> on that regard. Um, well, it, it, you kind of led yourself into it, but yeah, let's see. It. Yeah. Um, so, living in intentional communities, one of the things that I've learned is a glue for community mm. is the agreements. Mm, nice. And so yeah. I just want to extrapolate that because a lot of these large tech companies that have more than a billion users at this point yeah. are really kind of their own community. And so, the, yes, they have their own terms of service and agreements and things like that. But the thing that's fascinating to me, and I'll ask this to you as a question, of what is the largest agreement field on the planet right now? Ooh, the largest agreement field on the planet right now. Not sure how to answer that. Yeah. Facebook terms of service. Okay, like in terms of things that some people have actually agreed to. Yeah. Facebook terms of service. Wow. But yeah, but what percentage of people actually read through that and understood it? It's got to be less what percentage than 1% of people of... who live in the United States actually understand all the laws that they're meant to be adhering? Yeah, I mean, no, no one, right? No, one, like no individual. <laughs> that's part of the problem. That's yeah. part of the problem, right? We, we, and, and that's part of it is like we just keep building and building and building and adding patches over patches over patches. And at a certain point, you know, it, it just becomes so unattainable that yeah. people who live in that I really don't like that can't even begin to like understand all of it. Right? There's exactly. It's the anger in me. I want to change that. It, it should be simple. It should be clear. I don't like clicking. I agree to these terms just so I can use the thing. I, but I just. You know, I don't, I don't really like that process. And I guess if there's probably people out there, maybe someone listening who has the integrity to just not engage in those. Like I know, I know several people who refuse to go on Instagram because apparently that's one of the worst ones in terms of stealing your data, where supposedly it can look at you through your camera, it can record you, it can take screenshots of any app on your phone or whatever. I don't know if that's oh, true, wow. but that's what was explained to me the other day. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, Again, you know, it's like when we live in a culture where you can't, um, I don't like the term assume or having an expectation, but 
when you live in a culture where you can more trust that people are showing up for the greatest interest of the whole, yeah. then a lot of those problems, I think, go away. Yeah. Um, but again, we're, we're living in well, a culture exactly, where it's like, how do you get yeah. as much as you can for yourself, oftentimes? I think that word trust is actually huge. And all everything we're talking about, in some level, depends on trust. Like, us having this conversation, obviously I trusted you to show up on time and have words come out of your mouth that <laughs> sometimes made sense. Words. <laughs> but like, uh, when I and the billions of other people click, I agree to these terms of service for Facebook, there's a kind of trust of like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and I think that's 99.99% of the time it's accurate, right? It doesn't really matter yeah. for the individual person. On a collective or, scale, it matters. But, or the other side of it of like, but my point is that there's can't just really a, do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, you can't really do anything about it. But there's just a trust. It's so deep and so fundamental. And even if we go back to the multicellular organisms forming to humans buying stuff in a store, I mean, we're not all out there killing each other. I mean, there's just tremendous trust that gets taken for granted that's operating at so many levels and so many moments all the time. Like driving your car is fucking insane and completely dangerous. And, <laughs> you know, that's why we get anxious and why we have road rage. But there's a huge amount of trust in the system that most of the time it works okay. And it does. Unfortunately, not always, but you get what I'm saying, like... Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'll give you a great example. I do highlining. Oh, yeah, I've um, seen you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, I didn't rig this. I trust that the person <laughs> who rigged this oh, didn't want to die. <laughs> I trust the person who made this harness that I could actually fall and it won't rip apart. Oh, like, man. there is yeah, that level of... Yeah. And it's like literally putting... I mean, I, I associate it similarly even to like how I got over my fear of flying. I didn't really have a deep fear of flying, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm in a position right now where I can't even control anything. Oh, There's yeah. nothing that I can do here. Yeah. But I trust that this pilot doesn't want to die. <laughs> and I trust that they don't want to die so they won't kill me, you know? Yeah, flying is a great example of that. I mean, any one factor out of millions or billions goes wrong and the plane's going to fall, right? And, and somehow it, it's, it's one of the safest ways to travel. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Like, if you look at the statistics of flying, it's actually super, super safe. I think we're more likely to get struck by lightning, actually, than the dying of plane oh, crash. Wow. Or it's similar. It's something yeah, like that, right? Like yeah. yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the things that I've been learning in doing the deeper inner work is being in connection with the emotional body, which is something that is not really taught or mm. supported much in our modern culture. Yeah. Um, and a big piece of that, and we see this in modern media, um, is, the, is the rampant use of fear to control people into yeah. taking action or not action. Um, and Usually so more than not action, right? More than not action. Yeah. Um, or directed energy towards something that they don't want to see happen or something, yeah. like protest or whatever it might be. But um, my story is, is the more that people get in connection with their emotional body in particular, and energetic body too, for sure, but emotional body, um, it, the, the term that I really love that I like to, to, to use is unfuckable with. Mm. That's the sovereignty piece. Mm. Like, I know me. I know my connection to, to divine to source. I know what feels resonant to me. Yeah. I'm going to hold that. I'm not going to like succumb to your fear about, oh no, I'm on a plane and I might die. Yeah, there's a hundred ways that you can think about what that might look like. Uh -huh. You can be in fear about that or you can be like, no, I, I trust. I trust inherently, you know, the person who's flying this is, you know, wanting their life to be continuing as well. Yeah. And also just like, it's edgy to say, but we also have a really difficult um, 
collectively speaking, relationship with death. Oh, yeah. And again, there's that like trust that even if you die, just trusting that that oh, wow. is what's wanting to happen. That's a huge one. If you have that, that's, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. I think of that as, um, you know, someone who's really gone deep with their spiritual practice, for example, that could be a result of it, like a trust, the dying process. Because yeah, I think most of us are, don't think about it, we're afraid of it. Yeah. Yes, it's possible to live a more or less ordinary life and at the moment of death just have a lot of faith and trust and, and go into it with an open heart. But I imagine a lot of, you know, there's probably a lot of fear for most people on trying to push it away and trying to control and trying to... Right. Or regret or who knows, but yeah. Right. I mean, it even points to how many, what, you know, what is it? You know, the, I don't even know the numbers on this, but it's like a, a large portion of healthcare costs happened in the last six months of people's lives. Yeah. Because sure. they're like hanging on as much as they can. Oh, give me that experimental treatment. Oh, oh hook me up to that machine. <laughs> okay. Well, in uh, defense of people in general, a lot of that I think is coming from doctors fear of being sued and they have this kind of prerogative to extend Absolutely. life as long Probably as possible. Yeah. My brother's actually a doctor and we've talked about this. Like at what point do you just let nature do what nature does? Like let it go. And, and that could be a higher quality of life in a sense, a higher quality death versus all the medical interventions that don't really help. Yeah. Well, and I think that's on the individual level too, yeah. of not being afraid. And so when a doctor is like afraid of getting sued, you're like, oh, we can extend this life. Here's your options. Like person being like, actually, I've lived a full life. Yeah. Some and people make that choice. Yeah. Some people yeah. do. And it's beautiful. I respect that. Yeah. I, you know, I think my grandpa went out in that way. You, yeah, know? Yeah. It, you know, he taught me a lot in his life. He was a police chief of a Chicago suburb for a number of years. Yeah, well. And um, he passed it, I want to say, 88, something like that. He lived mm. a long life. And uh, it was really sweet. When he, when he passed, he was at his partner's house. And he, he got out of bed and walked into the, in one of the main rooms and sat down in a chair and, and, and died in, oh, in the wow. night. Oh. And at the same time, like, I had heard that he went and played golf like a day or two before. He mowed his lawn. Uh-huh. He got to meet up with his daughter and have lunch with her. Oh, and I was just like, up until the day that he passed, he lived a full life. Mm. And I think he, he made that choice. He's like, I'm starting to go downhill. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually believe that we have, you know, connection to that technology. Mm-hmm. Right when you when you I think so some of us yeah well yeah when you're like fully some like of us have access to it more than others but yeah when you're more consciously fully living your life mm. and you recognize what is living and what isn't mm-hmm. a lot of people are li- like most people even in like their twenties or thirties have already given up on life and aren't really fully living mm. and they're already in their process of death mm. but when you're fully living your life you know what it means to fully live your life and you know when you're not mm-hmm. and when you're not fully living your life. I don't want it. I mean, yeah. I want to be, it's a quote from a science fiction book I really like. Um, a man has lived long enough when he no longer longs to live. If I am no longer longing to live, I don't want to be here. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And I would like to see everybody, and, and same thing, fall in love with life, long to live. Like, yeah. be in the space of beauty of like, holy shit, you know. All the things that we have access to in this culture. Again, now bastardizing it. We got computers and we got microphones and we got cans of soda. You know, <laughs> shit. We live better than most kings did 100 years ago. Um, and being in that awe and reverence mm. and excitement and, and like 
joy of what is possible in life. Yeah. As opposed it's a to good reminder. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to getting caught up in all of the things that could go wrong or right, right. ways that you're not good enough or right. whatever it might be. Yeah, I love listening to you say all that and just imagining starting to create a culture where that those perspectives, those you know, things are cultivated or encouraged. Like if you think about the word culture like you're in a, like a petri dish. Gabor Mate talks about this. Uh-huh. You have a petri dish in the lab and you have the little solution and you inject you know, microbacterial things and you watch them grow, that's, a, that's called a culture. Yeah. And so it's like, what kind of culture are we creating here? And I know that's a big passion of yours. And Absolutely. Do you, how do you see, like, because you earlier you were talking about using the existing hardware and technology to create a better culture. How do you, do you want to speak to that a little bit more? Like, how do you see? Yeah. Like, like it seems like you ha- you're actually holding a super positive vision for technology, whereas a lot of people see it as part of the problem. Like, get off your phone. Like, this isn't helping anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a friend shared this with me. I don't know where it actually came from, but you can either use something as a tool or that tool can use you. Hmm. Um, that's true with technology. It's true with medicines, whatever it might be. Um, and I think that's part of what's necessary in the way that I come from is it's, we're not just going to, somebody isn't just going to come out with some magic phone app technology that's mm-hmm. going to change the culture and the planet. I mean, it can change culture. We see all what happened with Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and these things, but it will change culture. But in the end, to me, it's, it's a human level thing that we need to look at and address and not like bypass the social layer of like, actually, how do we have deep conversations mm. where we're actually talking about our traumas with each other and seeing that we're not alone, like hearing mm. that I was 12 years old thinking about suicide. Yeah. I guarantee you there's a lot more people who have had that experience who aren't necessarily talking about it because yeah. they don't feel safe or to be that level of vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when we live in a culture of like where the emotional body is more supported and we're talking about these things and moving mm-hmm. through it. Um, and then technology to me is like, that's like the add on over the top, right? Like once you're a solid human and you know how to relate with each other, mm-hmm. um, then you can build technology to support you in that recognizing that it's just an extension of yourself and not some replacement of, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, like long story short, that's why I don't like artificial intelligence because it puts it outside of ourself. My story is we're actually, it, I got like, I mm. resonate with the term integrated intelligence more. Oh, I like that. Because we're using the raw analytic power and capacity and high fidelity data information storage that computers have. And using that with a level of human creativity of how do we leverage that unique quality mm. to support something even greater. And I think that's, again, you know, it's like, hybridization in nature often creates the highest expression Mm. left and right brain raw creative versus the scientific analytical you know science and spirituality you know it's like when we can start bringing these what we can yeah both in and when we can start seeing these not as separate things but actually like ooh, what are the pieces of spirituality that can really help us and what are those pieces of science that can really help us and how do we actually weave them together um Mm. really start a different level of of conversation because it's not like it's how do you put it in right relationship as opposed yeah. to Republican, Democrat, this one, this one, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is also no, that was well a pretty said. valid reflection of where yeah. a lot of people are, right? Oh, man. Uh, people oftentimes prefer um, a simple fallacy than a complex truth. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Give me the red pill or the blue <laughs> pill. <laughs> 
Hmm, which day is it? <laughs> I love that integrated intelligence. That really struck me. I think that it's not only inspiring, it's, it's got to be more true. I mean, it's already happening. The phone, the Google, Google's already an extension of our mind. Yeah. Um, you know, the earbuds, the glasses they're developing. I mean, it's, it's going to be an integrated thing. I'm really skeptical of the idea of artificial intelligence, yeah, existing somehow independently of humans, because it's the humans that are creating it, that are it's the tool that we're using. And, and that bigger thing of what it's serving and coming back to life, like actually life maybe even beyond humans, or right? just what's, I don't know, I think it's hard to put into words, but we have some sense of when things are moving in the direction that they feel like they're supposed to, right? We use words like thriving or, you know, coming together or synergy or, you know, there's something, something with all that, right? Yeah. Right. And it's also pointing to, for me in this, um, a lot of people coming from that fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. right? Like I, and I'll be real, I've never programmed artificial intelligence or machine learning programs or things like that. Mm. There's a level of unknownness mm -hmm. in that for me. And I could see a lot of people being in a place of fear of like, Ooh, shit, I don't know. It's like all this stuff that I don't understand. That's going to be like, maybe changing supply chain management and like how different resources are flowing. I don't know if I can trust that. Oh yeah. But at the same time, like there's a level of, um, hmm, what's the right way to say this? Um, competition is one way to say it, but ineffective inefficiency, inefficiency of like, you know, I can't look at a, a page full of numbers and being like, okay, here's the pattern. Uh -huh. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take those numbers I'm going to think creatively of how those numbers might want to be viewed or analyzed. And then I can write the script to deduce the pattern of it. Yeah. Um, and then make action from it. Um, but yeah. there's like a level, again, it's the left and right brain. It's like the raw analytic one and zero processing power of computers, high fidelity storage of information and the creative flowing, you know, yeah. uh, orientation of the human mind that when come together can actually create something more beautiful. Um, a good go. example uh, is actually, you know, um, in the early 90s, Deep Blue, oh, yeah. the, the chess playing computer, <laughs> right? And it was huge. The giant you know, IBM thing. Yeah, this is the huge thing. Oh, no, the computers are now smart enough to beat humans in chess. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and most people stop that there in their, in, in their awareness of it. So what actually happened is, is later in progression of this, there, used, there was then like some like, okay, well, what is the best chess playing combination that there is? Hmm. Is, it, is it a human? Is it a computer? Is it a human with a computer? Uh. And that's so, going to be the number one, right? Yeah. The human when with when the you know the software well enough and can work with it. And you know how to use the tool. When you know how to use the tool. I saw, I didn't read it, but there was some headline I looked at briefly the other day of cheating in the world of chess. And it's what you're pointing to that if the human chess master can access the computer, then they're like super powerful. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool to, to think about. Yeah. I think, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. You mentioned really briefly the supply chain issues, which happened with the pandemic, with COVID. And that for me was an example where the curtain got pulled back a little bit and actually realized that we're already in these systems that are so complex. There's no individual human on earth who actually really understands it all. And so when the supply chains across the whole globe are so convoluted and interconnected and complex that little, you know, it's, it's like the butterfly flapping its wings in China that causes a tsunami in right. Alaska or whatever, you know right. what I'm talking about. So it's like that. So it's like, it's just beyond the ability to understand, you know, so it can't, my point is 
you can't have one individual ego human who's sitting back behind a computer controlling everything. That That is impossible, doesn't work. And it's part of what gives me hope for our species and for our society. We have a lot of freedom, we have a lot of creativity. There's all these things happening that are bigger than any one individual. And I, I look at societies like you know North Korea or to some degree China, right, too. Like there are these top-down approaches that I think are never gonna be as effective as the organic, bottom-up, trusting the creativity, trusting the collective intelligence, trusting in that to lead the way, right? Yeah, well, I got another fun one for you. Yeah. Um, it's, um, <clears throat> my story is why religion and these different prophets that have come have actually not landed the culture codes that they were really connected to mm. oftentimes. Um, and relationship with that is, um, for example, like Jesus or Muhammad or whoever, Buddha, you know, it, it has been like, oh, this person is bringing it through and this person is saying these things. We're going to follow these words. Mm -hmm. And after that person dies, it becomes about following the words right, of what right. that person had said or brought through. Um, nothing wrong, bad, anything about that. There's a lot of value that has come from these prophets coming through and bringing this information through. Abs yeah. Absolutely. But what I find really interesting, especially now, is yes, connect with that, but also how do you create an environment mm. for the natural evolution that that person might have like been the prophet and been connected to instead of saying, hey, here's what it is. How do you, um, I like the term inception here, right? Uh -huh. So how do you create the context for them to naturally come to these things themselves? Mm. And that's why I love the events that are happening in One Boulder because it's creating context for people to have these experiences of deeper awakening that yeah. isn't pointed at any single person that is bringing through information. Mm. Um, and also similar to uh, another perspective I really love called the jelly bean jar philosophy. Oh, yeah. You heard that one? No, I haven't heard that. Um, so if you have a large group of people, guess how many jelly beans are in the jar? Oh, yeah. An individual is likely going to be wrong. But collectively, the group knows. You'll get a normal distribution on the actual numbers. So collectively, the group knows. But is that true? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. It is. So if you average what everyone says, it, it gets closer and closer? Yeah, like the more... Yeah. Like, and same thing with um, quantum mechanics, with the double slit experiment, right? So like... Two slits, we know that if you fire a bunch of photons through, you'll get an interference pattern on the other side. Mm -hmm. If you just fire one photon through, you'll detect it on the other side and it'll just be a dot. And you're like, okay, I see a dot. <laughs> What's the deeper pattern that's actually emerging here? Mm. And you have to fire a bunch of photons through mm. to actually see the pattern that is collectively emerging from it. Cool. Yeah. 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 That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's where, you know, how do, how do we bring these cosmic codes that are wanting to come yeah. down of whatever you want to call it, God consciousness, in a way that isn't dependent on any single right. failure nodal point, which what yeah. these prophets have been in the past. Yeah, it's a good point. I think it's, it's totally valid. I think it's accurate. I think, um, yeah, we're in a new age. We're in the age of information. And anyone can go on Google and have access to so much information. And then, yeah, so many teachers, so many coaches or leaders or and there, there's a beauty in that and it, you know there's some people that are concerned about that it's possible for you know charlatans or you know things that happen but if you look at it the way you're talking about like trusting the inner intelligence to blossom forth in each individual we don't need like some big controlling organization to whereas historically that that was the case and and uh for sure i mean in the history of christianity for example 
it was a huge deal to have the Bible translated right into the local languages. That took about 1,500 years to happen, something like that. Really? Wow. Um, yeah, because the, they church, were the church kept it yeah. in Latin, yeah, yeah. and then the church got to control who could read the Bible, who could understand it, who could interpret it. Similar things, of course, in Buddhism, where like, there are texts that were, and there still are. I mean, I respect that the tradition in a lot of ways, but there was a controlling of like the information and who has access to it. And yeah. it's partly just a function of education. If you want to read a text, you have to be able to read. And so right. that's a, such a new phenomenon to have so many people able to read. And so here we are. Yeah, we're in the age of information, and it's becoming more equal, more equitably distributed. If you have the interest, anyone could go figure, you know, start learning. You could educate, you could choose any topic yeah. in the world and educate yourself about it. Well, and that's one of the interesting things for me. I just had this experience the other day where I was just like, I don't know if I want to share resources with this person right now. And that information is mm. resource, right? Because mm -hmm. we were having this whole conversation about money. You know, mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of this re-level work right now, right? <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, actually, I've been orienting in this way of just like freely sharing everything because I deeply believe in horizontal gene transfer. But then I just realized I'm like, I'm supporting these people and bringing all these different connections and, 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 and access to resources they didn't even know existed. But I'm not getting support and You're like not feeling a return. I'm not feeling a return. Like I'm seeing these beautiful things happen in the world, but I'm like, maybe actually I am missing a part of the, the 3d grounded. And this is where I'm learning how to make this bridge of how do I live in this 3d world and reality and not just be like, it's wrong or bad. I'm leaving it, but creating a bridge, you know, like the yeah. story of the Bodhisattva, right? Is there, you know, there's three different Bodhisattvas, right? Uh -huh. The, um, and the oh, story yeah. that they often use is like crossing a river, uh -huh. right? You have the Bodhisattva who's like the ferryman who he's yeah. like, he knows this side, he knows that side. He can ride, he can navigate across the waters and bring people back and forth. Then there's the uh, Bodhisattva that says, I will not go to the other side until everybody else makes it. Mm. And then you have the Bodhisattva that gets to the other side and is like, I'm going to be the anchor point over here. I'm going to hold it down and wave my arms yeah. so that more people can see that this exists over here. Right. He proves that it can be done. Proves that it can be done. Totally. That, that there isn't a side to get to. Right. Like if the river was so big, you couldn't see the other shore. Uh -huh. Someone would have to cross it and find out that there's land over there that you can, it's worth getting to. Yeah. 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 And it's about creating that bridge. And, yeah. you know, again, it's like, for me, it's not like... Again, not making that old that 3D reality bad, but just recognizing it for what it is, recognizing that it's still here. How do you recognize what that game world is and learn how to navigate that while also understanding the world that you're really desiring to stand in and yeah. for? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where I'm in my root level investigation right now. Yeah. Um, like I said, of like having next to no money, um, <laughs> you know, not knowing how I'm going to, where I'm going to stay or, um, yeah, it's, ra it's radical. It's a radical choice. Yeah. So. And, and well, it's part of the experiment. Right. And I think that's, you know, for me, I've always, I've done research when I was in college and I've been very much like, you know, with psychedelics and other medicines. And I'm like, how do I explore what reality really is when I had that, you know, these experiences, especially on uh, psychedelics in my early years of working with them, of being like, oh, you're telling me that there's, I feel, I, I sense like in my body that there's more happening here than what science has told me in my chemical engineering background mm -hmm. of like physics, mathematics, engineering, all these things. Mm -hmm. There's something more that's happening here. Mm. Um, and connecting with that and then learning how to extend my scientific 
mind's theory into exploring the reality space of mm. something that I might not be able to know or have the language for. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point too. Like we need, when we go into the unknown, we part of what that means I think is we lack the language for it and that we can then yeah. develop the language when we're discovering something. Yep. I love uh, just yeah. connecting with the movie arrival. Oh yeah. I haven't because, seen that. Oh, it's one of my favorite sci-fi right. uh, visiting from other um, alien species. They have 12 ships that show up all over the planet, and for like two hours at a time, each ship opens its gate, and there's two aliens that are there, and they have to figure out how to start a dialogue or start a conversation <laughs> with them, learn their language. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, I don't know if I want to ruin it for you, but <laughs> in the end, it requires cooperation mm. for the information that they're actually bringing to be um, yeah. shared. That makes sense, yeah. Right? So I feel like we're also in that. You know, it's like there's law of multiples, lots of these different points of information coming together. And I think it's a natural, I don't want to say defense mechanism, but uh, mechanism that the Earth says, hey, I'm not going to the next level unless I can see you guys cooperate. So I'm going to shard the information among many people (laughs) that it takes many people coming together, sharing the information and resources to actually go to the next level, which is endosymbiotic cooperative co-creation endosymbiotic cooperative <laughs> collaboration yeah what is the endo what do you mean endosymbiotic within for the benefit of the whole okay right yeah so hey i have these resources i'm going to bring them all to the table you have these resources they're different you know yeah how do we complementary fit all these different pieces together for the benefit of the whole yeah I feel like something is popping up in my mind around um, bliss, actually, like feeling good, maybe like a deeper level of well-being. But if you can, mm-hmm. that can be a sign that you're on the right path. It can also be, if you're able to be feeling that, be manifesting that, I think it is, it's help, naturally helping other people around you. And there's a distinction I make, I make between mm-hmm. vibrating at that level versus just pleasure-seeking, you know, hedonistic kind of, you know, we tend to look down on that, but I think that <laughs> there's a difference there. And I think you get what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah there's two things that come up for me. Um, a term that I really have come to love, regenerative hedonism. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's recognizing that you, you are being somewhat hedonistic, but it's like you're you're feeding yourself. Yeah. As opposed to, like, you know, using the tools as opposed to letting the tools use you. That's one aspect of it. The other is another experiment that I think you'd really love. Uh, about metronomes. Hmm. So uh, really fascinating if you, you know, a metronome goes back yeah. and forth at a specific time. So if you create a platform that can actually like rock and move, yeah. so like a platform with a couple cans underneath so it can actually slide, and then you get a whole bunch of metronomes on them. Let's say you put 35 on there, they're all in sync. And you add a 36th one that is not in sync. Say it's exactly half of the time or it's like half out of time. Yeah. Um, on that platform, on the connected surface where everything is sharing its energy, quickly you'll see that that one metronome and all the others start to line up. They'll sync up. They'll yeah. sync up. Yeah. And if it's like 200 and one of them is out of sync, it'll come into resonance faster than one out of 36. Mm. So as right, you right. build more of a, a, a coherent collective field, it has greater capacity to shift people quicker mm-hmm. into coming into that level of coherence. Yeah, yeah. That's another way to say what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just I think that there's an element to being in tune with reality, being, you know, a helpful force for, you know, all the things we're talking about, creating a better world for everyone, where you actually, you know, you're gonna feel better yourself too. It's like it's so it's that both and. 
And uh, yeah. if you lose sight of that, it's not sustainable. We're going to burn out. And kind of like there's just something really crucial about that, right? Like you, you were talking about filling your own cup. Yes. Um, that life, yeah, there's a certain like yesness, like, like, fuck, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, Barbara would say, follow the compass of joy. Yeah, that would be another way to say it. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, within that context, you can undergo hardships or experiments or trials if you have that bigger goal in mind. But I think um, it's important not to lose touch with that. You know, like if you're, and I see that, maybe I see that more in the activism world. Like you're, some people are doing so much to try to help, but they're not attending to their own emotional, physical, mental, right. relational, spiritual well-being. Then it's out of balance and it doesn't, doesn't, it's not quite right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, for me, it's been challenging work. It's challenging. Because, like, I see so many things fucked up in the world. I'm like, oh, I can do something. I can make change. Do everything I can in my power to do that. But I don't think life wants me to sacrifice myself for that process. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. This is awesome. Yeah. People can, uh, I guess I'll I'll link to the app below. Is there any other ways you want to, any other links or information you want to share with people? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. One is uh, I'm also working on a project. Uh, I mentioned the term earlier, holocentric. Oh, yeah. Um, I am working with a number of different visionary artists and musicians and sacred geometrists and storytellers mm. um, to create a planetarium show mm. that might start off as a show and then turn into a tour or it might become a tour. Not exactly sure the pathway of that yet, but it's meant to be a DNA light code activation that is past the mental body of exposing people to a reality that they didn't even know existed that is more beautiful than they could have imagined. Mm. To plant these seeds of um, what uh, holocentric, uh, <laughs> without getting too deep into the philosophy of it in the actual show, but um, inviting people into living in a different way and with the tour. The idea would be to then, hey, share these different tools and technologies, whether it's like authentic relating circles or, yeah, you know, these types of things, like the technologies, the social technologies we've been working with in Boulder, as well as the technologies like One Boulder, the the app, Mm -hmm. that can then support people staying connected digitally and being more effective in their communication and sharing of resources in their local areas. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the projects that I'm working on. Uh, it's called Holocentric, the Rise of Homo Universalis. Awesome. And I love yeah. it because planetarium in its Latin etymology, you know, is uh, mm. planetea, planet, and arium, uh, a, a home for. Ah. Right? So planetariums, to me, are a home for planets, and we're waging <laughs> planetary consciousness on the individual level. And so, that's beautiful. It's so inspiring to hear about. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And then uh, the company that I have um, is called Actualize Earth. Mm. And so working on projects like One Boulder and this planetarium tour, um, I'm raising resources for right now to really take it to the next level. Because right now I'm the solo developer and programmer. Um, So I'm hitting a point of my, this physical being's capacity not capable of keeping up with my story of what wants to happen mm-hmm. and desire to uh, mentor and bring other people on board. Um, so I'm raising resources for that as well as building a team for people who are interested in either of those different vectors of connecting or contributing. Beautiful. And what was the name of the second one Of that you were just sharing about that you're raising? Actualize Earth. Actualize Earth. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Good luck with your ventures. Thank <laughs> I'm excited you. to hear 
see watch it develop and unfold and see where it goes because yeah i feel your enthusiasm and your energy and your vision it's big so that's what we need thank you appreciate that it's a joy to be here and with a curious being like yourself to <laughs> dive deeper and it's also a joy for me of sharing things in slightly different ways that i generally don't or hadn't thought of before yeah, you know i'm yeah. not saying that i had all this information <laughs> coming in <laughs> yeah it's good. it brings us back to what you were talking about at the beginning of the synergy and what gets called forth in the moment yes Thank you so much for listening to another episode of A State of Mind Podcast. I work here in Boulder, Colorado as a psychotherapist, coach, and meditation teacher, and you can learn more about that at estateofmindcounseling.org. You can learn more about the podcast at our website, estateofmindpodcast.com, and you can also get a t-shirt, stickers, a hoodie like this one I'm wearing, and other goodies. Send us a message if you want those. Feel free to send us any feedback. If you'd like to support this podcast directly, you can do that at patreon.com backslash a state of mind. And another way that you can support the show is just to share it with friends, share it with family, post about it on your social media accounts, leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All those things make a big difference and they're greatly appreciated. And I really appreciate everyone who listens to this, who sends us a message, who shows their support. We are at over 100 episodes now and it's just been an incredible journey with this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you more great episodes, great conversations, and great content in the future. So stay tuned, and I will see you here next time.